0: Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, two summaries of the reality
1: of being an
0: island nation.
1: Planet Earth is 70% ocean. Ireland is an island. This provides huge benefits and resources, but also challenges... We import and export most of our goods by sea. We are surrounded by potentially incredibly rich and productive fisheries. So much of what we have
0: and what we need as a nation comes from the sea. We are an island nation. We live in the
2: middle of the Atlantic Ocean. We are fed, watered, everything we get comes in by boat, literally comes in by think 92% of what comes into the country comes in on ships. So, like, you have the
0: commercial side of it, you have the pleasure side of it, and you have other sides of it as well. We'll hear more on this edition of the programme about the reality of being islanders, about the problems created by people who don't know what they're doing in boats, and about the pleasures of listening for the sounds of the seashore. This Island Nation is Ireland's Maritime Radio Programme, coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Youghal, on the banks of the famous River Blackwater on the East Cork coastline. And bringing together through the National Community Radio Network the Maritime Community around Ireland, an island people, a community bounded by the sea around us. And you're very welcome to contact the programme. The phone number is 872 555 and email thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's phone 872 555 and email thisislandnation at gmail.com. Do send me your opinions, news, views and comments about maritime matters. There can't be too many people around Ireland who haven't heard of Fungi, the best-known bottlenose dolphin in Ireland, and loyal to Dingle, where he first appeared in 1983. That's 37 years in the County Kerry Harbour, which has put him into the Guinness Book of Records as the longest-living sociable dolphin on record, and now the first of 114 solitary-living and mostly bottlenose dolphins around the world, known to be engaging with humans. At this stage, say experts in this sphere, Fungi must be nearing the 40-year lifespan associated with his kind, though that could go to 50 years. But everyone hopes he'll be around for many more years. And from Fungi, it seems natural to go to Dr Simon Barrow, chief executive of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, from whom you heard at the opening of the programme as he defined planet Earth. So is he optimistic or pessimistic? about the future of our planet may be teetering towards the latter.
1: They say we have 10 more years before climate change reaches a point of no return, a tipping point which could lead to profound and irreversible catastrophic changes in our life support systems. Biodiversity loss was supposed to be ended by 2020, but the current rate of global diversity loss is estimated to be 100 to 1,000 times higher than the naturally occurring background extinction rate and is expected to grow further in the coming years. As we enter a new decade, does this provide a new start, a new beginning to build a sustainable future for us and those species we share this planet with? I'm not too optimistic. It's not like we don't know what to do. Many citizens want to do the right thing, but it's very difficult when we need a fundamental change to our structures and institutions, as well as our mindset. Planet Earth is 70% ocean, Island is an island. This provides huge benefits and resources, but also challenges. We import and export most of our goods by sea. We are surrounded by potentially incredibly rich and productive fisheries. Energy from offshore wind, wave and tidal resources could provide many times our energy requirements, if only we could capture and store it. In the short term we need fundamental changes to our fisheries management, driven by natural constraints and not by economic or political bargaining. Surely we can develop strategies to only remove the surplus, those individuals which are old enough to have bred a number of times and not deplete the breeding population. Can't be that difficult. Can we not use methods that do not destroy habitat purely to remove a single or a small number of species from a complex ecosystem? Surely we are smart enough to achieve this. We need immediate designation and management of marine conservation zones. The target should be at least 30% of our island's inshore waters and 50% of our offshore waters, where fishing, farming and prospecting will be managed sustainably or prohibited. Offshore wind farms will be rolled out at an incredible rate over the next decade. But can these be designed and situated to provide additional benefits from artificial reefs and habitats and no-take zones, as well as providing energy? Stop prospecting for oil and gas, which should be left in the ground and not dog up just to be burned. Foreign navies must stop killing our whales while playing hide-and-seek between submarines and warships in our waters. We already have legally binding legislation requiring us to achieve most of these objectives. But still, progress is at very best slow, too slow. We have some financial structures in place to fund the cost of transition to these new techniques. But there's no real desire, no political leadership, and a fair bit of apathy by us, the stakeholders, to really change the course we are on. We are all on the same planet, and we will all suffer the consequences of our failure. I hope my pessimism is ill-founded and we, as a resourceful and cooperative species, will make the right decisions and sacrifices to change the current bleak future on planet Earth and the island of Ireland. This is Dr. Simon Barrow of the Irish Whalen Dolphin Group for This Island Nation.
0: John Innes retired from the RNLI the Lifeboat Service after three decades of service at the lifeboat station here in Yole, helming its inshore rescue boats. During his RNLI career, he was involved in saving 34 lives at sea, and the reasons for call-outs have changed, and he has some strong opinions about Pleasure Boat users. We'll also hear his views about being an island nation, as he told Justin Marr. You would definitely have seen, I suppose, in the last 15, 20
2: years, a huge swing towards Pleasure Boat. It was probably a trend that was happening elsewhere before it began happening here in Ireland. I would have said the boom maybe brought a lot of it on, you know, people buying boats to do something in at the weekend and then that just, my friend bought a boat, I'm going to buy a boat, so you had a bit of that. I think fishing has declined, I suppose in general it has, and and that's the reality, but um, you would have noticed a shift from that type of a call out more towards the pleasure boat type of a call out situation.
3: And I would imagine if it is a pleasure boat situation that... These people may not be the most experienced seafarers. Are there any particular common call outs that are things that could have been avoided?
2: Yeah. Um, I think insurance companies are driving the turn in this in a huge way, you know, because there's no real legal structure to. You can go into a boatyard, buy a boat, take it away home, stick it in the water, and go out in you know, it without any training, which to me is madness you get the guy who reads it in a magazine and thinks he knows it all and off he goes and he doesn't have a life jacket on board and he doesn't have a radio to call for help and he's out there and he's ringing his mate because he's broken down and his mate is ringing us and the information you get is very, very scant I mean, look, I've been out in Shouts where we've been sent completely to the wrong end of the bay looking for something that was at the other end of the bay and I can recall actually one funny situation one evening we were, um, a friend of mine had bought a new boat and he asked me to go with him just to get the boat up and running and get comfortable in the boat and as we were heading down past the lighthouse we came across a speedboat that was stopped in the middle of the channel and the two guys had an AA road atlas out and they were looking at it and they were scratching their heads so we went over to them and we had a chat with them and it became very obvious they were the ones who hadn't a clue and I remember them pointing at the lighthouse going that's just point isn't it isn't Cork up there and I went to the guy who was with me I went just get out your phone there and call the lifeboat <laughs> they'd run out of fuel and um, they thought they could paddle for Cork <laughs> even though they were at the entrance to the old harbour but the penny didn't drop that the lighthouse was on the wrong side of the harbour even to begin with you know, but you know, bringing a boat from, I think it was Dungarvan, it came from heading towards Cork, they managed to get as far as the oil before they ran out of fuel and got lost that could have been very nasty because if they had gotten further, it's a long gap between here and Ballycotton and there was a lot of very, very lonely spots out there between here and there and you could have had every lifeboat on the coast, helicopters searching the coastline looking for these guys at 11 7 o'clock at night in the dark we happened to stumble on them at about quarter to nine in the evening and um, they were lucky that we did you know but it's typical of what you do tend to find with the, the pleasure boater um, I mean the structures exist You know, the, the RYA and the, the Irish Sailing Association have structures there for people to go and do training courses but training courses take time and it can seem cumbersome, it's not it's actually quite good fun but um, that's the trend that you do tend to see that lack of knowledge, lack of equipment lack of how to use the equipment um, and very often they just don't have the gear and they don't understand what they're doing with the equipment that they have, taking it out into an environment where it's
3: not meant to be Finally, John, 30 years, it's a very long time to commit to something like that. What has kept you in the r for three decades?
2: Um, we are an island nation. We live in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. We are fed, watered, everything we get comes in by boat, literally comes in by sailing. 92% of what comes into the country comes in on ships. So, like, you have the commercial side of it, you have the pleasure side of it, and you have other sides of it as well. I mean, we did a sailing school here in Yale a few years ago. It didn't work. It didn't have the critical mass to sustain it. Um, there were sailing clubs here in Yale before. There was a sailing club here now. There are other clubs. I'm involved with the Triathlon Club still and continue to go on with that. Um, and they all depend on services like the Arnolite. I mean, we couldn't go swimming every Sunday morning or every Wednesday evening in the summer, even though we have our own safety. But the backup for that, the first port to call for us if we have a problem is obviously the Arnolite. And to be able to turn to them and know that they're there, it's. it's and I suppose that's really what kept me down through the years. Um that and the fact that it was always a great bunch. I mean I met friends before I became involved in the RNLA, who got involved in it with me, and still to this day are my best friends for life, you know, and um, there's always, you know, someone there to have a chat, have a cup of coffee, have a bit of crack with. I suppose that just keeps you motivated, keeps you interested, and the fact that the goals keep moving as well, you know, your training has to be updated, and you're gaining experience, you're gaining knowledge. I have a great hunger for knowledge as well. I love studying, reading, where's my next course going to come from, and that's the way my brain works, and I, I, I enjoy that. Life throws challenges, and you're a volunteer. You can walk away at any stage. And some people do. Wives come along, kids come along, families. You just find it hard to find the time. I was very lucky. I mean, my own wife, she really got involved. The Arnold, I ran this campaign a few years ago where they looked for some family members from around the coast. And, and our family was actually chosen as one of the, the families. And, and Laura got very much involved in, in that side of it. And I suppose the legacy is there now. You know, there's a whole load of new faces down there on the station. And it's absolutely brilliant to see it. Everybody should do something in a volunteering capacity, I think. You know, it really, you know, wouldn't it be a great world if everybody gave something? And um, to help to give something back, you do get a warm, fuzzy feeling when when it's all over. You have the bad
0: ones, but you have the good ones. And thankfully, the good ones outweigh the bad ones. John Innes of your lifeboat station. And to the west, along the Cork coastline, and for the first time in 10 years, a bronze medal for gallantry has been awarded to an Irish lifeboat man. This is going to Castletown Bear Cox and Dean Hegarty for the rescue of the 25-metre fishing vessel Clodagh O. on the evening of October 10, 2018, from the Piper Rocks near the harbour entrance there in a Force 9. Lifeboat mechanic on the rescue was Martin O'Donohue with the crew of Seamus Harrington, John Paul Downey and David Fenton, and Michael Martin. Martin Sullivan, the launching authority. They'll all receive a framed letter of thanks, which is the way the RNI traditionally recognises an outstanding service. I did the official opening of then newly built Castletown Bear Station back in 2013 when the crew told me that one of its very important benefits would be cutting six minutes off the time it took to get the boat going in response to an emergency call out. And they were certainly right in that rescue for which the gallantry medal is being awarded because they got to the trawler with just minutes to tow it clear from the rocks and save the six fishermen. Now, Justin Marr brings a roundup of maritime news from home and overseas waters.
3: First on home waters. In Dunlera, County Dublin, a feasibility study is going ahead on the proposal by two water sports organisations, the National Sailing Association Irish Sailing and the Irish Underwater Council, who have joined with Dunleera and Rathdown County Council to launch an €8 million Euro plan for a national water sports centre. Government approval has been given to the plan together with a €400,000 grant for the study. The three organisations have proposed that the campus should include a centre for community water sports activities, a public slipway, and a high performance coaching centre. It would also be a base for hosting international events. On northern waters, there's a new arrival based at Bangor Marina. This is the boat called Seabird, which has a special purpose. It's owned by the environmental charity called Citizen Sea, which is being supported by ARDS and North Down County Council. The boat is a 17-metre, 40-tonne former herring fishing boat, dating from 1969. Citizen Sea has been created by marine conservationist Jen Firth and master shipwright Tony McLaughlin, who say they started the charity to inspire others to engage with the marine environment and raise awareness through science, education and research. They intend Seabird to be a research and education vessel and an ambassador for the natural marine and coastal environment. Another new boat due in Irish Waters is a yacht costing around €140,000. This is the first yacht of a new production from Jeuneau, 34 feet long, called the Sunfast 3300. MGM boat distributors say it will be based at Kinsale Yacht Club in County Cork and will take part in this year's Round Island Yacht Race in June. Top UK magazine Yachting World, after a sail test, priced the boat at €143,000. It has been built by an infusion moulding process, claimed to give exceptional rigidity, with considerable weight reduction and which can be adapted for single-handed, double-handed or fully crewed racing. It has a water ballast system and is being suggested as the double-handed offshore boat to introduce cruisers to the Olympics in four years' time. And an unusual vessel which has made its appearance on Loch Erne is the modern incarnation of the traditional Loch cot, unique to upper and lower Loch and used there for possibly 2,000 years for transporting goods, people and cattle around the islands in the County Fermanagh Lakes. Some versions are still used today for carrying cattle. The Royal Society for the Protection of Birds has introduced a 15-metre, 14-tonne vessel built by Welsh marine engineers and workboat builders Mainstay Marine Solutions that will be used to transport livestock to graze on islands on lower Earn, creating a suitable environment for breeding wader birds. The new boat, funded by the Special EU Programs Body through the Cooperation Across Borders for Biodiversity project, is named Joe McGee, in tribute to the Society's former warden for the lakes. And finally, the huge value of bluefin tuna which Irish fishermen are prevented from fishing by EU regulations, even though there are reported to be strong stocks in Irish waters, where non-Irish vessels are allowed by the EU to catch them, is shown by a Japanese restaurant owner who paid 1.8 million dollars, that's about 1.5 million euros, for a huge bluefin tuna fish at a New Year's auction at Tokyo's fish market. It was paid by Kiyoshi Kimura, who calls himself the Tuna King and runs a large restaurant chain in Japan. The tuna weighed 608
0: pounds. A very expensive piece of fish, that. Justin Maher reporting. This programme is also broadcast on the monthly audio programme of the National Council for the Blind. And in this month's report from Birdwatch Ireland, which looks after birds and seabirds, of course, we hear about the launching of a new project to help the visually impaired. Niall Hatch joins us from their headquarters at Kilcool in County Wicklow.
4: We often talk about the pursuit of birdwatching, but that in itself is a somewhat inadequate description. There's a growing trend to refer to it instead as birding, given that it frequently involves senses other than sight. For example, if you visit a seabird breeding colony on a warm summer's day, although the sights are spectacular, you'll probably be struck even more by the sounds, not to mention the smells. There's a growing understanding in Ireland of the need for better environmental education, as well as to foster an increased appreciation of wildlife amongst children. Thanks largely to European Union funding, Birdwatch Ireland and other organisations have begun to produce workbooks and educational materials for teachers, with the aim of properly equipping them to pass natural history knowledge onto their pupils. Birds make an ideal vehicle for introducing children to nature. When it comes to birds, it is just as important, if not more so, to listen as it is to watch. Think of the dawn chorus, for example, when hundreds of individual birds may be heard singing their hearts out before the sun has even risen. Or what about the otherworldly moans and wails of Manx waters and European storm petrels returning to remote island nests under cover of darkness, having spent the daylight hours out foraging over the open ocean? In both cases, the ears reveal what the eyes cannot. To date, however, there's perhaps been too much focus on how birds look, on observing their behaviour, on literal bird-watching. This is a great pity, especially because it has made it harder for blind and visually impaired people to engage with nature, as natural history educational materials have by and large ignored their special needs. Birdwatch Ireland, in conjunction with its fellow BirdLife International partner organisations in Poland, Malta and Cyprus, has decided to do something about this. Thanks to funding under the EU's Erasmus Plus scheme, these NGOs have joined forces with experts from the Polish Association for the Blind on a landmark new project called Seeing the World Through Nature. The aim of this project, which will run until March 2022, is to develop environmental educational resources for teachers who work with blind and visually impaired children, in consultation with international experts in this field. These resources, as well as a mobile application to assist children in the recognition of birds and their songs, will then be made available free of charge to educators in each of the partner countries and across the BirdLife International Partnership. We know that birds in particular can help to connect people with visual impairments to nature in a very special way. We now need to ensure that teachers have the necessary training and resources to help blind and visually impaired pupils make that connection. The project will build on the successes of other recent environmental education initiatives that have involved the BirdLife International Partnership, most notably the award-winning Erasmus Plus Empowering Teachers and Pupils for a Better Life Through Nature project, which concluded in 2018, culminating in an international workshop for teachers at Maynooth University, and the production of detailed teaching resources for educators and youth workers. The project is still in the early planning stages, but it is already clear that Ireland's world-class seabird populations will play a starring role. If you have never taken the time to experience a seabird colony before, may I suggest that you take the time to do so this summer. Wherever you go, be it Ireland's Eye, the Skelligs, the Salty Islands or the Cliffs of Moher, when you are there, please take a few moments to close your eyes and let your other senses take over. If you do, I'm sure you will agree that it is an experience that should be enjoyed by far more people, and the children in particular would love. Birdwatch Ireland is Ireland's largest conservation charity. For more information about its education work, please visit www.birdwatchireland.ie and go to the Our Work section.
0: Nile Hatch reporting. And to conclude this edition, a ballad about Edward Bransfield, the Irish seafarer who first set eyes on Antarctica and who's being honoured with a new memorial on the outskirts of his native village of Ballinacara in East Cork, composed and sung by Cliff Wedgbury. <laughs>
5: Ballinacurra boy The press gang Took one day To force him into Service on the sea Just a country Lad at heart They marched him far Away To serve the king Sailing on the sea Bransfield was his name Antarctica his fame Following the compass And the tide In the years of wind and sail Fair winds and stormy gale Sailing where the albatrosses glide Pressed gang to the crown A sailor outward bound Climbing up the rigging with the Tars Taking the hand of fate dealt by a warship's mate At home amongst the rigging and the spars Bransfield was his name Antarctica his fame Following the compass and the tide. In the years of wind and sail, fair winds and stormy gale, sailing where the albatrosses glide. This Balin the boy down by the harbour side, sailed the far off oceans. With a brave and manly pride Rising through the ranks Learning knots and navigation To feel the wind and the briny spray Far from his island nation Bransfield was his name Antarctica his fame Following the compass and the tide In the years of wind and sail Fair winds and stormy gale Sailing where the albatrosses glide This Ballinacurra boy Sailed south into the ice And charted lands no man had seen before. Far below the feared Cape Horn, where whales and icebergs sail, to feel the savage storm's icy roar. Ransfield was his name, Antarctica his fame, following the compass. And the tide In the years of wind and sail Fair winds and stormy gale Sailing where the albatrosses glide
0: The Ballad of Edward Bransfield, sung by Cliff Wedgbury. And at last, thanks to the determination of the people of Ballinacurri village, where he came from, and its memorial committee, this forgotten Irish seafarer has been remembered. And so we end this Island Nation produced at CRY 104 FM YALL on the East Cork coastline with technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South on Doddock FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Canvara FM. On Radio Cocker Boschkeen and Clare, Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM, in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Bell Mullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM, and Community Radio Bear Island. Podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify, and themarinetimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The program email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone and text 872 555 That's email, thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 872 Until our next program, from me, Tom need the usual wish of fair sailing.